can you guys handle the truth that pro sports is at the very least manipulated, possibly even rigged, and at worst, scripted? We need to talk now. Nobody needs to talk. Who would want to? I'm not going to be making any definitive claims because I don't know any of this stuff for a thousand percent certain, but being someone who wants to get to the bottom of this, because I am a lifelong athlete myself, and I've also been a sports fan myself, I'm going to do my best to try to bring honesty back to these sports and to try to figure out what's really going on here. Something funny going on here. Is, as this recent book I did some research with, is the fix still in? Episode 9 of Hard Truths? I want the truth! The truth? You want the truth? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Are pro sports rigged, manipulated, scripted, or are they honest? Let's find out now. What's happening fam, Jared Weiss back here with another video on the Jared and James channel. If you guys didn't know that, must be new now, subscribe to the channel so you know what to do. Smash the subscribe button, be sure to leave a like, drop a comment, let me know what you guys think of this video. Follow me on every platform, check out all my content, I post regularly everywhere. So for today's video, we're going to be talking about a very interesting topic that I've been doing some research on this past year, which is pro sports rigged, honest, dishonest. Yeah, you couldn't write a crazier script. Also, before I get started, I would love to have someone on here who wants to maybe talk about some of this stuff with me so if any of you guys have any more information beyond what i'm talking about in this video and you want to either debate me or support me in what i'm saying let me know because this is like a very interesting conversation and i've actually been having this conversation with plenty of people recently and going along these lines of having this conversation with people recently it actually seems like the people who i've been talking to do have their own suspicions about whether sports are being manipulated and have been so for decades at this point. 75 years later. But the whole thing is, we as the viewing public often ignore this because we all love our entertainment so much. And of course, there's nothing wrong with that. As I said earlier, I'm a lifelong sports fan myself, and I'm also, above that, a lifelong athlete myself, which is something that I pride myself on. And this brings me to my first story on this investigation of pro sports manipulation, which is the Tim Donaghy story. Because this one actually affected me at a young age, and I didn't even know it at the time. It became personal with me. The whole reason why I'm actually wearing a Phoenix Suns shirt for this video is because for many years, I was actually a huge Phoenix Suns fan. I knew every player on the team, Steve Nash, was actually always my all-time favorite NBA player. And I always tried to emulate my game after his. I was always working so hard on my game to become just like Steve Nash, who was my favorite player. And actually, many of my teammates for years would actually call me Nash without even knowing this because many of them actually thought that like my game and my looks were actually very similar to that of Steve Nash. But throughout the early 2000s, Steve Nash and the Suns were becoming an incredible team. They were putting together 60 plus win seasons out of 82 games for those of you who don't know. That's a pretty incredible record. But every year in the playoffs, something would happen and they weren't able to advance to the finals. They weren't able to advance beyond the Western Conference Finals. And it was always so frustrating to watch because I always knew how incredible this team was. And I always thought that like, this team was deserving of making it to the finals and winning an NBA championship. So me being this really young kid, this young fan of the Suns, during the playoffs, I'm pretty sure I actually went to one or two of these playoff games in the early 2000s. 
against the Spurs, but most of them I'd be watching on TV. I'd be heavily immersed in the game. I'd be cheering on my favorite players, but somehow they always came up short. And one year in particular against the Spurs, this was either 05 or 06, I believe, possibly even 07, but I'm watching every game of the series. Sun Spurs, and for, from what I could tell, even from a young age, the Suns were the better team. They had more talent, more speed, they worked better together, but for some reason, no calls were going their way. And this was frustrating as hell for young kids to be watching. Amari Stoudemire, the Suns center at the time, was undersized, but he was not being allowed to defend Tim Duncan or the other Spurs big men at all. Every single time, he'd be called for a foul, and this was so frustrating because the refs just like weren't letting him play defense. And I could see right through this. Something just didn't feel right about this whole series, every game, well like the end of the series in particular, something just didn't feel right. The last two or three games, Amari Stoudemire was fouling out and the Suns just weren't being allowed to play hard defense in the playoffs. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. They ended up getting eliminated. I was crying <laughs> afterwards and the next day in school was tough especially because all my friends at the time all knew I was a big Suns fan. They all made it hard for me. But years later much 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 later it turns out that Tim Donaghy, the defamed ref, who was actually caught for betting on games and for rigging games in certain directions, was one of the refs during that series. So this is my first experience with referees or sports being dishonest, and I felt it, but I didn't know it at the time. And now, all these years later, being someone who's a quote-unquote conspiracy theorist, someone who wants to get to the truth in everything, this brings me to this book that I read recently, The Fix is Still In by Brian Tui. And many of these stories show me that pro sports aren't as honest as many of us think, as many of us as kids think, and I want to get to the bottom of this. So I'm going to be sharing some more stories beyond that one that at the very least I want you guys questioning what's going on and at the most maybe even doing some deeper research of your own. And keep in mind I'm going to be referencing plenty of quotes from this book. So now first off, the first thing that I actually learned by reading this book is that legally pro sports don't actually have an obligation to be honest or to give the fans honest outcomes. What do I mean by this? Legally pro sports are deemed entertainment which is the same thing that WWE aka pro wrestling is deemed as and pro wrestling we all know is scripted pro wrestling is about putting together storylines but the real winners aren't actually quote-unquote the best all the time it's just whoever has the best storyline and whoever the script writers want to make the winner and this really makes you wonder could this whole idea of telling people that pro wrestling is fake could that be something that maybe serves as like this controlled opposition because then everyone else thinks oh well pro wrestling is fake so therefore all these other sports must be real because they're telling me that this one sport is fake but they're not saying that all these other sports are fake too makes you wonder doesn't it could it be the same thing as like politics could it be the same thing as basically everything else in pop culture where very little is actually organic they gotta know at some point who the, the public they gotta know Yes, stand here with us. And you have this one thing that's being told to you as bad, and then you have this control opposition thing, which is equally as bad, but like you don't know that it's bad. And also keep in mind, one of the stories from this book actually referenced how fans actually once tried suing their town sports team and were unsuccessful because 
Legally, that sports team has no obligation to provide the fans with honest outcomes. So now I'm going to read you a little excerpt from this fan who tried suing his hometown sports team. This is in reference to the San Antonio Spurs sitting a bunch of their star players and a fan being upset about this because he paid high value for tickets to go to this game. On behalf of all ticket buyers that night, Larry McGinnis sued the Spurs claiming that fans had suffered economic damages due to having to pay that premium ticket price to see a Spurs team devoid of its star players. This according to McGinnis' suit was an unfair and deceptive practice which constitutes a violation of Florida's Deceptive and Unfair Trade Practices Act which prohibits unconscionable, unfair, or deceptive acts or practices in the conduct of any trade or commerce. Unfortunately, McGinnis voluntarily dismissed the suit prior to taking the Spurs to court. Perhaps it was because David Stern, the NBA commissioner at that time, acted and fined the Spurs $250,000 for Popovich's decision. Or perhaps he backed down after learning what few rights ticket holders actually possess. When owner Georgia Frontier picked up her Los Angeles Rams and moved them east to St. Louis in 1995, Larry Charpentier sued, claiming the team had breached its contract with the season ticket holders. In his suit, Charpentier, who originally filed suit under the name Fight for the Rams, alleged that since 1946, team had granted every season ticket holder the right to renew his tickets in the subsequent year even when the team moved from Los Angeles to Anaheim. However, when they transplanted to St. Louis, this right was denied despite the fact that season ticket renewal forms stated in part, your season reservation is valuable. You have the privilege to renew reserved seat locations for the upcoming season. Charpentier stated he did not purchase his tickets with the intent of watching a poor performing football team played for the 1994 season, only to have the team leave at the end of that year. Instead, he purchased the seat merely to reserve the seat location of his season tickets in the future when he hoped that the Rams would provide a quality professional football team product. Unfortunately, the court didn't see it that way and dismissed the case. In the court's opinion, several obvious and frankly disturbing conclusions were reached. For one, just because a team has played for years in a particular location and has always done something a particular way does not mean that it must always do so. Furthermore, the court also wrote that Sharpentier did not buy the right to watch a good team or to have enlightened management decisions made. And though the court admitted that it is common knowledge that professional sports franchises have a sordid history of arrogant disdain for the consumers of the product, the final ruling stated that Sharpentier's recourse was limited due to a personal decision to give up on the team when he felt that it had given up on him. Going one step further, Carl Meyer sued the New England Patriots, their head coach Bill Belichick, and the NFL seeking $61 million for the eight fraudulent Jets-Patriots games Jets ticket holders witnessed during the Patriots Spygate era. You're a super spy! A super spy! which is known as a time when the New England Patriots were spying on the Jets' practices and stealing their plays, etc., etc. Meyer, a Jets fan, as well as a lawyer himself, and attorney Bruce Afrin made a straightforward case. The Patriots, under Belichick's direction, knowingly violated NFL rules with their taping of opposing coaches' signals. In short, they cheated, and because of it, this violated the contractual expectations and rights of New York Jets ticket holders who fully anticipated and contracted for a ticket to observe an honest match played in compliance with all laws, regulations, and NFL rules. Unfortunately, these are unreal expectations 
The Patriots requested the case be dismissed and the United States Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit while admitting, simply put, no one in the past has ever brought legal action quite like this one agreed with the NFL and its two franchises. The case was dismissed. Why? As Judge Robert Cowan wrote in his opinion for the case, Meyer failed to set forth a legally cognizable right, interest, or injury here. At best, he possessed nothing more than a contractual right to a seat from which to watch an NFL game between the Jets and the Patriots, and this right was clearly honored. His ticket and every fan's ticket incidentally unambiguously stated that this ticket only grants entry into the stadium and a spectator seat for the specified NFL game. Here, Meyer undeniably saw football games played by two NFL teams. This, therefore, is not a case where, for example, the games or game was canceled, strike replacement players were used, or the professional football teams themselves did something nonsensical or absurd, such as deciding to play basketball. Will you teach me to football? As for the fact that the Patriots broke the NFL's own rules, Judge Cowan had an opinion on that as well. It appears uncontested that players often commit intentional rule infractions in order to obtain an advantage over the course of the game. For instance, a football player may purposely commit pass interference or delay of game. Such infractions, if not called by the referees, may even change the outcome of the game itself. There are also rules governing the off-field conduct of the football teams such as salary caps and the prohibition against tampering with the employer-employee relationships between another team and its players and coaches. Meyer further does not appear to contest the fact that a team is evidently permitted by the rules to engage in a wide variety of arguably dishonest conduct to uncover an opponent's signals. For example, a team is apparently free to take advantage of the knowledge that a newly hired player or coach takes with them after leaving his former team and it may even have personnel on the sidelines who try to pick up the opposing team signals with the assistance of lip-reading binoculars, note-taking, and other devices. Ah, I can read lips! So, the judge is essentially comparing one team spying on another team to a player intentionally getting a pass interference call. What does this tell you? Fans don't have as much say as we think they do, and they're paying for the salaries of the players and the owners, and they don't even have to watch an honest game. All they have to do is just watch a game played by two teams, and legally, you've nothing you could say about that. Going one step further, what about the idea of tanking? When teams purposely lose, such as the 76ers, back in the whole trust the process era when this team was not putting their best products on the floor but yet the fans were still paying to go to games and were expecting to watch an honest product but this was actually advantageous for the team to lose games what does that tell you about the honesty of the sport and mark cuban actually admitted to this one year with the mavericks as well the Mavs, once we were eliminated from the, the playoffs, we did everything possible to lose games. That based on the way that the NBA draft lottery is set up, it's actually advantageous once you get past a certain point in the season to actually lose games. Another very interesting story I actually heard recently, which was spoken about in this podcast where, where you have Andre Iguodala, NBA player, Evan Turner, a former NBA player. Well, like, actually now both of them are former NBA players. And I'm pretty sure Gilbert Arenas was part of this um, podcast as well. But like... Evan Turner was actually talking about how one year during the playoffs, when he was with the 76ers, I believe, against the Celtics, he was saying how in the playoffs, you essentially have to win by 15 or more in order to actually win the game because the ref's calls are going to be favoring the home team or whichever team has the better story. 
Whichever team has the better script it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Close our game is the hardest game in your life. Maybe like why? And I can't say. Hey. I remember we were about to play game seven, 2012. So we were about to play the Celtics or whatever. But Eldon's like, you know, we're going to have to win by 15 just to win by one. Mm. So I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, bro, this is the NBA, it's entertainment. LeBron is in a heat or waiting. Would you rather watch the Celtics or the Sixers play the Heat? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm on the team. I wouldn't even watch <laughs> the Sixers play the Heat. But I'm, I'm telling you, take M's and M's from this. I'm like, what? He's like, millions of memories. Because this is entertainment. Also, former NFL players Larry Johnson and Arian Foster are often talking about how the NFL is scripted. Now, this isn't me saying that pro sports are scripted. I don't believe that it's possible to get every single person in on it. But once again, you have to ask the questions. Because if you don't have questions, then you're just trusting whatever's being shown to you, which, as I've evidenced already, isn't always honest. And some stories from this book, which may indicate, at the very least, calling to question this idea of a script. Whenever it comes to any disasters or traumatic events, which, as many of you guys know my thoughts on these, many of the times, these aren't organic happening in and of themselves but 9-11 which if you guys watched my video with RJ on Rabbit Hole Roundup talking about Bush the Jenga champ you guys know my thoughts on that but post 9-11 you had this whole clear patriotic fervor in the country who won the Super Bowl that year the New England Patriots interesting also during that year the New York Yankees who were at the heart of this this horrible event made it to the World Series and even though they did lose in the World Series which may indicate that pro sports aren't scripted but at the very least manipulated because they did post a batting average of 183 so like it's pretty hard to overcome that and win games or, or even justify that unless the other team bats 150 or whatever but being that 9-11 was a national event and then you have the Patriots winning the Super Bowl does this drum up some more patriotic fervor? Does this bring people together even if it's not being done in the right way? Sure does and does it make people want to go over sees follow that narrative and then kill people in the name of freedom what about hurricane katrina which happened in new orleans in 2005 according to this book invigorated by a 3-0 start the saints marched their way through the nfl and the sunday night football promo nbc declared they were the team america is rooting for but the party came to a crashing halt in the 2006 nfc championship game versus the chicago bears as the skeptics point out, the Bears won that game and advanced to the Super Bowl, not New Orleans. If the NFL was helping the Saints along this far, why wouldn't the league push them all the way? Recall the events of Super Bowl XL played just the year prior. The Seattle Seahawks were robbed by the referees who handed the Pittsburgh Steelers the Lombardi Trophy in Ben Roethlisberger's rookie season. The NFL had sports conspiracy theories coming out of the woodwork after that game claiming the fix was in. Four years later, Super Bowl XL's head referee Bill Levy confirmed those thoughts as he actually apologized to the Seahawks for his handiwork that day. Would the league really risk back-to-back -back controversial seasons, especially if it required a few bad calls to push the Saints into the Super Bowl? That one loss to the Bears did not stop the NFL's newfound love of all things New Orleans. A seed had been planted. The Saints rebuilt New Orleans was the rally cry, even if the league and Saints owner Tom Benson contributed only about 10% of Superdome's rehabilitation costs. FEMA paid most of the rest. And let's face it, the Superdome wasn't the entirety of New Orleans. Much of the city lay in ruins without power while under the Superdome's bright lights all appeared jubilant. The propaganda display refused to stop. The NFL's corporate partner Visa featured Breeze and the Saints in a two-year-long promotional campaign. The Saints were everywhere and finally, in 2009, they reached the Super Bowl just four years 
post-Katrina. Which I know for some of you might be hard to accept. And as I'm always saying, you guys should question everything. So like four years after, yes, it does sound out of the line of reasoning. But keep in mind, the Saints prior to this were an awful team. And so for them to all of a sudden become this incredible team and this whole rallying cry and all this propaganda for the Saints could have led the NFL to pushing them towards the Super Bowl win? Maybe. In 2013, another localized tragedy took center stage as Patriots Day in Boston was derailed by the bombing of the Boston Marathon. And what happens that year? Boston Bruins, the hockey team, ends up winning the Stanley Cup. After a miraculous three-goal comeback late in the third period to force overtime of Game 7. Boston's strong indeed. No, they end up going to the Stanley Cup Finals on the heels of that Game 7. But here again came the skeptics. If the Bruins were meant to represent the Boston strong ideal, why were the Blackhawks victorious in six games rather than the Bruins? Down 3-2 in the best of seven series, Game 6 was played in Boston. There, it appeared as if the referees were, were giving the Bruins ample opportunities to win and force the silent Game 7. Up 1-0 in the game, the Bruins were awarded four unanswered power plays, yet failed to capitalize on any of them. So, what this tells me is that even if the league or the country wants a certain result, it might not be a thousand percent scripted, but like it is heavily manipulated to favor a certain team and to favor a certain result. However, of course, in 2013, the Red Sox end up winning the World Series that year, pushing more along the whole Boston strong narrative. In 2017, the Houston Astros defeated the Dodgers in the 2017 World Series, just eight weeks after Hurricane Harvey tore through the city of Houston. It was as if the stories of the Saints post-Katrina and the Boston strong Red Sox merged into making the Astros Houston strong in the storm's aftermath. What about the Las Vegas Golden Knights hockey team? Shortly after the whole Las Vegas shooting, which I have a lot of questions about that as well, but like the sudden expansion team, who was supposed to be absolutely awful during this new year, the Las Vegas Knights ended up making it to the Stanley Cup Finals, but they did end up losing to the Washington Capitals. However, according to Brian Tuohy, it may surprise some then that the Golden Knights ultimately failed to hoist Lord Stanley's Cup given what being Vegas strong appeared to do this new franchise. But there's a good reason, or at least a good conspiratorial reason, why it was Alexander Ovechkin and the Washington Capitals who won its first ever cup and not Vegas. Had Vegas done the impossible and won the championship in its inaugural season, what would fans have to look forward to next year? And all the thrill is in the chase for a championship, and if Vegas did, the year, did that year one, what was left to accomplish? But perhaps I'm being too cynical. Maybe the success the Red Sox, Astros, Golden Knights, etc. achieved should be seen as inspiring. Many fans certainly enjoy the distraction these miracle runs created, and isn't that what sports is for? To be a way to forget about the tragedies that, that regularly befall all of us? So why complain? Maybe all these teams deserve to be looked at in the positive light in which they bask. There's no reason that these teams' successes should be considered unnatural. Just because no other pro team has been tied to a tragedy and failed to succeed doesn't mean all these results are completely manufactured, right? Boston College psychology professor Donna Canavan claimed that a team may actually be propelled by the social energy created by overcoming a tragic situation such as the type that directly led to Boston Strong. It's similar to what scorecasting believed to be the reason behind officials' creation of a home field advantage, pure psychology. This is the year we go all the way. All the way. All the way. Besides, who doesn't love a happy ending? Coming to college sports, Stephen Smith, an Arizona State University basketball player convicted of point shaving in 1994, said, 
Yes, I shaved points, but I didn't do it by throwing wild passes or taking horrible shots. Those are the things everybody looks for. It is largely due to the FBI's investigative work that most fans can cite the point-shaving scandals that have occurred since 1961, including 1979 Boston College Basketball, 1985 Tulane Basketball, 1993-94 Arizona State Basketball, 94-95 Northwestern Basketball, 2005 University of Toledo Football and Basketball, 2009-2010 University of San Diego Basketball. It's no wonder that despite a slew of great information, the FBI was unable to ascertain if any of its investigations into referees fixing games were in fact true. These included the following highlights. 1964, University of Houston's football games may have been fixed by a pair of officials. 1965, Florida State vs. Baylor game was influenced by a dishonest official. Orange Bowl, rumors circulating, Miami basketball games. I could go on and on with these stories, but just know that just because they're only catching some of these stories doesn't mean that plenty of others aren't happening as well, and you'd have to be ignorant to think that. Don't be so naive, Inspector. It's like the same thing when it comes to pro athletes who are taking performance-enhancing drugs, steroids. That pro-sporting league official is going to make it appear as if they're being very vigilant, and they're going to go after anyone who takes these things. But what's really going on? They're going to come out every year, only catch one or two athletes, and the rest are going to walk scat-free because... If all of us realized how many athletes, how many pro athletes were taking these performance enhancing drugs, do you think we would still look up to them as our idols? Do you think we'd also be watching every single game and being tied in as a fan and be paying all this money to watch these dishonest sporting events? It's the same thing when it comes to whether games are rigged or not, whether referees are being paid, whether the mob is involved as I learned throughout this book. They want you to think that the FBI, the league officials, want everything to be honest for you. Same thing when it comes to politicians. But in reality, there's a lot of dishonesty that goes on. There's a lot of rigging that goes on. A lot of fixing, a lot of betting, gambling that gets involved. Little Jerry Seinfeld must go down in the third round of tomorrow's main event. You want little Jerry to take a dive? Shh, not so loud. A lot of shady figures who are involved in these sporting events. And one more story I want to get into because I found this to be probably the most interesting of the whole book. Which is that the Muhammad Ali story. Because according to Brian Tui, and she has very compelling evidence throughout the book, it's actually possible that maybe none or a very small number of Muhammad Ali's fights were actually honest wins for him. And so this whole iconic sports idol, or is he a product of incredible marketing? I'm not going to go into every single story behind the Muhammad Ali idea. And like, keep in mind, like, I'm, I'm actually someone like who's been inspired by plenty of athletes out there. But like, after reading this book and after doing my research, it makes me question whether these people are actually people who we should be looking up to. The most iconic photo in boxing history, perhaps in all sports, comes from this bout. It's of Muhammad Ali standing above a fallen Sonny Liston, urging with both his mouth and sculpted body for Liston to rise and continue the fight. You can feel Ali's want, passion, and power in that moment. But what you don't see, and what most people never recognize with that photo, is the reason why Ali demanded Liston get up. Ali never felt the punch land which waylaid Liston. That's right, Ali didn't feel the knockout blow. It's hard to believe, but it's true. Ali asked his entourage in the ring immediately after the fight, did I hit him? He even told Nation of Islam minister Abdul Rahman that Liston had laid down. Yet, the faithful continued to believe the great and powerful Ali stopped Liston in the first round that night in Maine with a quick snap of the wrist. For them, there is no debate. 
The myth matters more than reality, they just don't want it to be true. To take any luster off of Ali's legacy, that image of Ali looming over Liston is hung on countless walls, emblazoned on thousands of t-shirts, and reprinted ad nauseum. That cannot be and come from a fraudulent moment in history, but this night was fixed, period, end of story. This is conclusive evidence right here, guys. When asked about this bout, Liston would often respond, I forgot to get up. Though taken as a joke, it's actually true. After Ali's phantom punch dropped him to the canvas, Liston fell on his back, rolled over and onto his stomach, attempted to get up, fell, and then finally climbed to his feet, all without any urgency. By then, he'd been counted out not at 10, but at 12. There are only two unanswered questions that remain from this fight. Who and why? Who orchestrated the fix, and for what purpose? The why would seem to be obvious, but, but in actuality, it may be the most sinister part of the entire affair. Moving on a little bit. While all these theories are feasible, especially the latter most, wherein the mob tired of Liston's antics, the prevailing theory is that the Nation of Islam was behind the fix. Between Ali Liston 1 and 2, Ali converted to, to the Muslim religion and put his career in the Nation of Islam's collective hands. They would control him and profit off of him from that point onward. A militant wing of the Nation of Islam, dubbed the Fruit of Islam, was assigned to protect the church's officials and property. It is believed that since Ali was considered Nation of Islam property, the Fruit of Islam protected him by fixing the fight. How did the Nation of Islam pull this off? By promising Liston more violence outside the ring than he would ever dream of facing inside of it. Now guys, I could go on and on with more stories from this book and I may even do multiple part series on this and, and if anyone who knows about these ideas wants to come on and talk to me about this or even debate on it, I'd love to have the conversation. But there's definitely a lot of compelling evidence that, that indicates that at the very least, postboards is manipulated, sometimes rigged or fixed, and other times scripted? I don't know. That's for you guys to decide. Now, before I finish up this video, there are actually a few other things I want to clarify. So first off, even if pro sports are rigged, I don't believe that everyone is in on it. I think maybe if anything, all it takes is a few people, possibly a few players, whether it be the quarterbacks of some teams, who are known to be Freemasons, as Larry Johnson often talks about, former NFL player, and as many of us conspiracy theorists know, Freemasons love to be in charge of things, love to script things out, and love to appear to everyone as if they're running the world, and love their power of quote-unquote running the world, or scripting all these major events that happened, such as the fake moon landing, all those astronauts were all Freemasons, but I digress. All it takes though is a few referees here and there taking some money, one bad call here, one bad call there, maybe a coach here and there making a few play calls that he shouldn't be making, as this book also illustrates as well. But in order for something to be true, doesn't mean that every single person has to be in on it. There could be, I'm sure, at least half the players aren't in on it and don't know about this stuff at all and are trying to be as honest of athletes as possible. But when you look at how every player does these commercials for certain products, products that like they don't believe in, many of them are controlled and they're being used by the leagues to promote certain agendas. We all know about how many pro athletes take steroids and PEDs and there's probably many more we don't know about. We all know how much money goes into pro sports. So do we really think that the leagues wouldn't at the very least try to manipulate results to make as much money as possible? Come on, man! <laughs> I mean, come on, man! And knowing that legally this is an entertainment business, so therefore, I have to ask these questions. I want pro sports to be honest, I want all things to be honest and organic, but when I see things that, that are amiss and don't make sense, I have to ask these questions. And also, like, to finish off, many of you might be wondering why the lie? Why the reason to lie? And I think a lot of this comes back to the whole breads and circuses idea. That's why they pay athletes these fantastic salaries. It's the Roman circus. What does the emperor do? 
when the people become restive, and when the people are asking questions, and when the people don't like the policies of the emperor, he sends them to the circus. He creates a circus. He builds a giant coliseum. Now don't get me wrong, these players are incredibly talented as athletes, and most of the time, they are the best of the best, aside from some politics here and there, which may keep certain players out, who do belong, as I've experienced, all throughout high school, AAU, all, all the stuff, there's always politics involved. But having said that, these players are very gifted and talented at what they do. So this isn't me putting down their skills, this is just me calling out issues that I see fit to be called out on. But as George Orwell famously said, when you give people football, beer, and gambling, they're never going to question anything. So while I do believe that all of us are entitled to take a break from the craziness that's out there in the quote-unquote real world, we also don't want to get too sucked into this whole idolizing athletes or idolizing politicians or idolizing celebrities in general, as opposed to building our own best lives and working on ourselves because when we're busy worshipping celebrities who aren't honest, who do a lot of bad things, and who are part of all this corruption, we don't end up spending enough time on ourselves. And there's people out there who spend their whole life savings on tickets to these events, but don't spend on their bodies, their high quality food, or their families. And guys, one more argument that like, I didn't touch on a whole lot in this video is this idea of numerology being evidence for the scripting or rigging of games because I know how oftentimes whenever people use that argument it ends up weakening their argument like especially because sometimes numbers can also be used to fit certain narratives that people are promoting but like I do believe that the elites quote unquote do use numerology often to indicate their control over these events and so while that can't be denied and I would love to get into that in future videos for the purposes of this video, I, I tried to steer clear of that argument, but I hope that this video inspired some questions from you guys. I hope that you guys are seeking the truth on all these things yourselves. Let me know if you guys can handle the truth on this subject. Anyways, love you guys. Make sure to subscribe to the channel. Be sure to drop a like, leave a comment, let me know what you guys think of this video, and we out you. Catch you guys in the next one. Peace.